0: My name is Michael Whitehouse, the guy who knows a guy. I'm a global connector, networking concierge, and coach. For two decades, I believed that my ADHD was a disability. Only at the age of 41 would I come to realize that my ADHD was an incredible asset, and when I leaned into that, I achieved greater success than ever before. ADHD is the engine behind my own success as a networker and coach. Over the past few years, I've spoken with thousands of entrepreneurs, and found that many of them have some kind of neurodiverse diagnosis. ADHD, autism, dyslexia, OCD, and more. Like me, for many of them, their neurodiversity is indeed the very source of their success. On this show, we will change the narrative on neurodiversity. I've heard enough about the challenges, now hard it can be. I want to hear about how awesome we are. It's time to start talking about how our neurodiversity can be an asset for ourselves, our communities, and our businesses. It's time to start talking about neurodiversity superpowers. Hello, and welcome back to the Neurodiversity Superpowers podcast. I am your host, Michael Whitehouse, the guy who knows a guy. And our guest today is Jackie Woodside. Jackie Woodside is a USA Today and four-time Amazon best-selling author, TEDx speaker, international trainer, and professional coach. She is the founder of the Curriculum for Conscious Living and the Conscious Living Summit and trains coaches around the world to deliver this life-changing work. Jackie has been featured on television shows with Jack Canfield and Don Miguel Ruiz and educational summits with Marianne Williamson, Michael Beckwith, and Daniel Daniel Siegel. Her expertise is widely sought after as a speaker and teacher. Jackie is a certified professional coach and licensed psychotherapist with 30 years of experience in both fields. And she has many books that I will not list off, but they will be in the show notes. Um, And Inc. Magazine selected Calming the Chaos, one of those books, as one of their top 10 motivational books. Jackie offers professional development training, keynote speeches, and retreats around the globe. And she is here with us on the Neurodiversity Superpowers.
1: Holy cow, here, here we are together.
0: Which is very exciting. So welcome to the show, Jackie.
1: It's so great to be here. What a fabulous topic. There's such a need in our world for people to be talking about this space, Michael. So thank you. I'm honored, thrilled to be here.
0: Thank you for saying so. That's why I'm doing it because people weren't, you know, I, I looked around and I just saw Everything about neurodiversity was gloom and doom, woe is me, it's so hard, there's so many challenges. And meanwhile, I'm meeting all these people who are successful. They're like, "Yeah, my ADHD made me a millionaire. My my autism made me a millionaire. My dyslexia made me a millionaire." I'm like, where are these stories for the kids who get their autism or ADHD diagnosis in school? So, that's or what dyslexia. we're doing here.
1: Dyslexia is another another big one. Uh, you know, that kind of uh, dyslexia, ADD, anxiety disorder triad that comes with a, a lot of kids who have neurodiversity. So, yep. uh, you know, yeah, I'm so I'm um, not only am I neurodiverse, I'm raising a neurodiverse teenage young man. So uh, I have a 17 year old son who goes to the landmark school in Beverly, Massachusetts, which is a school for kids with neurodiversity, language based learning disabilities, and ADHD or ADD.
0: So, so what are your particular forms of neurodiversity?
1: Oh, my. Probably too many to to keep listening, you know.
0: Um, Just the headline ones, the the ones who win the tournament. No,
1: Right, the main ones. Um, So I I was diagnosed with adult attention deficit disorder by the man who wrote the book about adult attention deficit deficit disorder. Uh, Ned Hallowell has the Hallowell Center in Sudbury, Massachusetts. I happen to live about eight miles from there. Um, and so when my friends were all picking on me in my 30s and saying like, yeah, you know, this is really a thing and I think you've got it. And I, w- I went over there to prove them wrong uh, that, I, I, that I did not have that form of neurodiversity. Anyway, so I was diagnosed with adult attention deficit disorder in my 30s. In my 20s, I was diagnosed with uh, PTSD, with uh, chronic uh, depressive disorder, recurrent depressive disorder. I've recovered from addictions, which I think was my way of trying to heal and recover for self-medicate for all of my neurodiversity. So uh, I both come from kind of the neurological piece with the ADD, but and and some of the psychological, which I think is also neurological with depression and anxiety, uh, PTSD and addiction. So um, yeah, I've got a lot. (laughs) Look, if it didn't kill me, Michael, it made me stronger. So, and here I am, you know, I'm, I'm no longer on any medications. I was so uh, I was so diverse in my presentation that I once had a clinician write an article about me and get it published because my treatment was so unusual. So I'm no longer on any medications. I say by the grace of God, I have recovered from my depression, from my uh, anxiety. From my ADD. I'm not on medication for it any longer. It's still my superpower. And um, and from my depression. So I'm not on any medications or in any form of treatment. Not that those are bad things. They certainly got me to where I am today. And I, I am a big advocate of, uh, of psychotherapy, of psychopharmacology, of uh, alternative therapies. My son participated in a wilderness therapy program, which was just life-changing for him. So you know, and of course, I was a clinician for 30 years. I'm no longer practicing psychotherapy. I'm a full-time
0: coach. So so you've recovered from being a psychotherapist, too?
1: I have recovered from being a psychotherapist. <laughs> as well. You know, I just wanted to have a bigger platform, bigger stage, uh, a bigger message that, uh, you know, I, I say my mission is to educate, empower, and enlighten our world. That's that's what I'm here to do.
0: Yeah, uh, that sounds that sounds very exciting. You know, looking at what you're doing, it seems like you're doing pretty well. Um, and now, how has this neurodiversity contributed to that success?
1: You know, I, I mean, I, I said a little bit tongue in cheek. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Uh, but I think my path of needing, you know, i ha- I have a passion in life, right? So I kind I don't know if that was innate or what, but I have a passion for contribution. I'm, i I want to take a stand for things, right? So my path of needing to understand and overcome these types of neurodiversity with ADD and depression, anxiety, really helped me to become an expert in how to use your mind to train your brain to perform better. So that's one of the primary things that I teach people, how to use your mind to train your brain. See, a lot of people are still using mind and brain synonymously, and they are not the same thing. Your mind is your capacity to observe and direct what your brain is doing, Mm -hmm. right? So I say, use your mind, to train your brain. And that was what had me be able to recover. Even, you know, I, I do say even from the ADD, I'm no longer on medications for it. I've developed... You know habits and and systems and structures, self management that allows me, even though I still have the neurodiversity diagnosis, allows me to function at a really uh, at a really high level. So I would say it, you know, how it helped me is I had to become an expert in how to use your mind to train your brain.
0: Hmm. Yeah, and that's something I'm hearing more and more. What's so much fun about this show talking to so many people who are functioning at a high level with neurodiversity, and one of the Themes has been this idea of of not put that way, but that same idea of training your brain. Yeah, um, you know, the, the the mind is like the thinking thing, and the brain as the computer it operates in.
1: Yeah, a, a, a little bit, but the brain also has habitual thought patterns through neuropathways. pathways when you do. When you have the same thought over and over and over again, it becomes automatic, and that's part of the brain. And in order to override some of those generally not helpful neurological patterns that you have, patterns of thought, Mm -hmm. a lot of them things like, I'm not good enough. Gosh, I suck at this. What's wrong with me? I should be more organized. I should be more productive. Not that I've ever hosted any of those thoughts, mind you, but those are just a litany off the top of my head that a person might have.
0: Yeah, I've heard about them.
1: I've heard about them. Right. right. Um, you know, if at any point uh, in order to, to when, when a person decides I, I really need to stop this Think this thought pattern isn't helpful. That's when you have to kind of use your mind, you use your higher faculty functionings, your executive functionings to say, I'm going to begin programming my mind. And then it's, you know, I teach various things. The use of affirmations is one that most people have probably heard of. You know, I'm, I'm highly competent, clear and organized in what I do each day. But then, there, you know, then there's going to be part of your brain that's like, oh, that's such, that's such bull. That's not true. You're not that way at all. So I teach people a method to how, how to assimilate the higher vibration thought, if you will, the high vibe thought of I'm organized, clear, productive, um, how to assimilate that as part of your identity. Because I mean, this is a complex topic. Right. Your mind to train your brain. It is a complex topic. So people really need to understand that it's first of all it's doable. You can change the way you think, and secondly, there are steps and strategies that you can learn to do that.
0: Definitely, yeah. One of the ones I've heard heard recently, I'm sure you're familiar with this one, is the idea of replacing "I can't" with "How can I"?
1: Yeah, perfect. I love that. I love that. And one of my simple ones is instead of asking why, ask what am I going to do? What are how questions instead of why questions? Hmm. Our culture is so highly psychologized. I just just wish I knew why I did that. I just wish I understood this part of myself. I just wish I could figure out why I'm in, in these bad relationships. Well, why isn't the question? Yep. In fact, why is this the ego, the psychological function called the ego, why is the ego's mechanism for keeping things the same? Mm -hmm. Because it's like, oh, I just wish I knew why. Oh, I just wish I knew why. Which means you're not going to change it because you never really figure out why or you could make it up and then say, oh, that's not the one. And then you make up something else and you say, oh, that's not the one. So then you have this kind of ongoing litany of I just wish I knew why. And then I do something about it. Yeah. You never figure out why. So stop asking that question.
0: And you don't need to know why. You just need, you to, don't know
1: need to know, know why. Because you're making that up anyway. You're making it up. So instead of asking why, why am I this way? Why did this happen? Why did he walk out on me? Why did I lose that job? What am I going to do about it? Mm-hmm. Or how can I develop myself so that I'm creating a different experience?
0: Yep. And I, and I love that, that concept of changing the question because that doesn't require, you don't have to embrace it. You don't have to, it's just, you have to ask a different question. It's a It's a simple habit change than than to go from I'm so disorganized to I am organized.
1: Right, right, right. Yeah. You know, you've got to do some loops uh, to get yourself over there. Again, it's kind of a complex thing to change your identity. And uh, so what happens when you go from why to how is then you get confronted with all of the fears and insecurities and beliefs that you have that don't support behavior change. Mm. So you're still even shifting and asking a different question, you know, say somebody's been asking for years, I just wish I knew why I was so disorganized. And then, you know, like, oh, I listened to Jackie on a podcast. I need to say, what am I going to do about it? Well, I'm not that kind of person. I don't know what to do about it. You know, so all of this kind of limitation immediately comes up, which, you know, Michael, I'm a coach, which is why I think coaching is such a powerful process to help people walk through that process of changing their behavior by changing their thoughts, by changing their thoughts, by changing their beliefs.
0: Yeah, I can see how powerful that is. I'm I'm reminded with the the, the why versus how, uh, that for a large portion of the 19th century, they didn't know how steam engines worked. They knew that they worked. They knew how to build them. They didn't know why they worked. So they couldn't make them any better. So the technology plateaued for something like 40 years. Because nobody knew why steam engines worked, They just knew it worked. And, But, you know, they built the, the railroad systems throughout Europe and the United States and India and everywhere was built on this technology that nobody actually completely understood how it worked. Oh, it didn't matter. They built the, the Industrial Revolution on it because they knew that it worked. They knew, you know, what they could do with it. And they didn't need to dive into, like, what is the purpose of this engine? Why, why does it happen? They figured it out eventually because they wanted to approve it. Um, and, and it's the same thing here. What can I do about it? And then once you're doing it, then you might dive deeper into, okay, why did I do that for an additional level of of improvement and you know, to to go from kind of a good to great sort of level. But first you got to get to good.
1: Yeah, yeah. You got to get yourself out of the behavior that's sabotaging you and, and not mm-hmm. creating the success and happiness that you want.
0: Yeah, yeah, so that's, that, that's a very, uh, very powerful thing. Um, and so is that that's sort of what you did to get to be medication-free and manage all your... Uh- Unique. You know,
1: it's one of the many things that I did. Uh-huh. Um, I, I would say I dove into a lot of, uh, you know, kind of neurological, maybe maybe some people consider spiritual practices uh, to change my thinking. So I, I uh, another practice of mine that I believe helps my neurology every single day is I, you know, and I know this sounds kind of cliche, but there's so much science behind it. I write a daily gratitude list. And not just three or four things, which science shows, if you only write down three or four things, that increases uh, your your sense of happiness, your sense of clarity, your, your sense of move, making progress toward goals. It even improves your immune functioning. Hmm. I know it's crazy, right? So writing a daily gratitude list, but I write like a journal page. I write a whole page. And so every day I just deeply ground myself in that kind of sense of what's going well because my depressive ADD mind would always focus on what I'm not doing right or where where I'm not doing things well. And a daily gratitude practice really helped uh, reorient my mind around what's working and the blessings that I have rather than the self-criticism. So that's one of them. And then the other one, I can't say highly enough for people who have neurodiversity. There's so much science behind this, but a a simple meditation practice makes an enormous difference for people with neurodiversity. Even, uh, I I just want to share the latest research shows neurological benefit is of one minute of meditation three or four times a day is equivalent to the, the neurological benefit of 20 minutes of seated meditation. So one minute of meditation. Now, most people, when I say this, they're like, I know, Jackie, I've tried meditation. I just can't do it. I'm like, no, that is meditation. <laughs> meditation is noticing that you can't quiet your mind. That is meditation. Hmm. And you can do that as simply as counting your breath. So if you, if you just sit in a you know, quiet p- position, not walking around, although you can do walking meditation, but just sit down and count your breath and you won't get past three and your mind is off somewhere and come back to the breath. That is meditation. And maybe you'll get to two this time and your mind is off somewhere. That's okay. That is what meditation is. So doing that, sitting with your thoughts for one minute, two or three times a day will give you a neurological uh, improvement, again, in focus, mood, uh, concentration, and again, even immune functioning, reduces your stress, I mean, it's crazy, I know, to think that you could do one thing for two minutes, three minutes a day, mm-hmm. and you get that much benefit, but the science bears it out.
0: Yeah, well, it, it makes sense, because it, it gives you the chance to disengage, because we're, we're constantly engaged in our modern world. You know, we're never bored. We've always got a phone. We've always got a, a TV or a TV and a phone and a radio and, you know, all these things going on. And our brains are built to, they're probably built to spend 60, 70% of their time inactive, and 30% of the time active versus 99% of the time active and 1% inactive. So, so you know if, when you run a machine like that, that intensively, it's going to it's going to have some uh, some issues. So it makes sense that just ha- even having a minute to just kind of put things away. And uh, I'm I'm picturing like a you know busy retail store, like a Dunkin' Donuts or something. Um, and if you have constant customers nonstop. Well, there's always so much cleaning you can do as you go and restocking you can do as you go. And eventually two hours in, you get slower. You run out of sugar, you run out of tea bags, you run out of donuts. Um, but if the customer stop for two minutes, then you can run around and grab the napkins and grab the sugar and grab some more donuts from the back. And I right. feel like your brain maybe does that same thing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's very cleansing, very it really helps your focus. And the other thing it did for me, especially early on, is it helped me to observe the quality of my thoughts. Mm. I kind of knew that I had a lot of depressive, self-deprecating thoughts, you know, uh, critical, self-critical thoughts and, uh, you know, kind of negative thinking from my depression. I knew that what I didn't know is that I had equally as many anxious thoughts. I didn't know that about myself. I didn't know that I kind of tended toward the anxious. I thought I just tended toward the depressive. And it was the early phases of meditation that helped me recognize that I was probably equally as anxious as I was depressive. And, uh, and now I'm, you know, I want to say neither one. That's not to say I don't have moments of anxiety or moments of depression, but, but years of practicing meditation, I mean, it takes a lot to get me off center at this point.
0: Yeah, I've, I've found that with, with anxiety, that anxiety for me tends to occur with things I'm not looking at. So a bunch of things happen during the day, they're not quite results. So I got to get on the next call or the whatever. And so they never get closed. And if I can look at them, okay, what happened with this thing? Okay, this thing, that's actually done. Okay, what's this thing? Eh, It doesn't matter. This thing, I'll get to tomorrow. If I can look at it, but if I can't take the time to say, what are these things? Then I've got anxiety and I'm like, what what am I anxious about? And I think for a lot of people, they try to look away. You know, you try to move towards pleasure and away from pain. So anxiety is pain. So you move away from it. But by moving away from it, you don't look at it. And so you don't know where is it? What am I worried about? Like I'm anxious. What are you worried about? I don't know. Great. Bad things could happen
1: you know of and- well, the, the things that made a huge difference for me in terms of that like so much coming at us and, and this is why my book calming the chaos won some awards um i teach this method of cal- calming the chaos which is kind of my life journey my life story but one of the things that helps me exactly with what you're saying here with man- managing all the stuff coming at us is daily and weekly planning sessions
0: yep oh i love so- those
1: Every, you know, every day, you know, like literally every hour of my day is accounted for. Now people look at that and they're like, oh my God, that's so rigid. It's not rigid at all. It's my life. If I change my mind, I change my schedule. (laughs) But what it does do is it clears my mind. I know what I'm going to be doing, my my practices, my spiritual practice or my well-being practices. I know when I'm going to walk the dog. I know when I'm going to be do, running errands. And I know when I'm going to be seeing clients, being on podcasts, writing my books, writing blogs. I know when it's all getting done. Mm-hmm. If you don't plan it and then put it out of your head and into your schedule, it's in your head of like, oh, my God, I have so much to do. How am I going to get that done? What am I going to do with it all? And that's absolutely crazy making. So, you know, you asked me what helped me. And I said, it was such an array of things, you know, things as kind of mystical as daily meditation and as spiritual as daily gratitude practice, but also as practical as every day and every week I do a major and every year at the end of every year. And then the beginning of the year, I do this whole ritual process of completing my year, setting my next year up and planning is a huge part for people with neurodiversity to be successful in life
0: absolutely yeah and like and, uh, you just described a number of things i'm doing with my schedule um every monday morning i started doing it on the weekend but sometime around the weekend i will have a team meeting with my whole company which is currently me uh so i will sit down with me and i will take take me out to a restaurant and i will make my to-do list for the week and it, it's a it's a categorized prioritized list So it is in the order of importance that these things get done. So things that got to get done early, those go at the top. And with the understanding of I may not get through this whole list, but if I do, great. And then the calendar, of course, I'm a connector. So most of my calendar is meetings. The remaining time is when I can go through the to-do list. But but yeah, once I did that, it was so much more comfortable because I knew I'd had that. And then during the week, I'm not like, what do I need to do right now? I need to do what's on the to-do list.
1: Right. I, I even go I, so far as to say, don't use a to-do list. Take those items and put them in your calendar.
0: So I tried that. What happens is the most important things go on Monday and then something goes wrong on Monday. And now either the most important things don't get done or I lose another half hour re having to rejigger everything. Um, so I have a, a flow into workspaces that ends up working well. Because yeah, originally i say, okay, I need to plan everything out and how long it'll be and whatnot. But that the overhead of adjusting it when something went wrong. Um And there, there
1: definitely is that there's, there's definitely that having to adjust it when, and not, not even when things go wrong, but you know, life gets in the way.
0: Yeah. Well, things know. don't go to plan
1: when things don't go as planned. Exactly. Yeah.
0: yeah. Cause I realized like, Oh, I made a system, which is, which means a one hour disruption on Monday morning is catastrophic. Cause the thing that must get done on Monday now doesn't get done. Um uh, Because you know, my daughter needed something or somebody called or you know whatever um or i got distracted with my email or you know, so so as so i built the flexibility into it um but but no it, it, the the two things i found there and i think you you touched on these one is having an order so that i don't need to worry about it cuz my thinking was already done earlier right you know i made the plan on monday so right or wrong this is the plan i'm following i don't need to worry about it. i'm gonna trust my monday self i'm sure he's fine and then also not judging so if i don't do the right things if i you know adhd comes with poor memory so if i forget things okay i forget things is what i do it's part of my jam i'll actually tell people like yeah i want to introduce you so and so i don't have anywhere to write it down so i'm going to forget so if i don't do it by tomorrow remind me yeah Um, but it's right up front with that instead of oh i'll totally do that and then how that michael is so unreliable he says he'll do things he doesn't I I'm always very clear. I'm like I'm going to try. There's a good chance I'll forget, but I'm going to try. So if you want me to do it, remind me. And if you don't care, don't remind me, and we'll both forget, and everyone's happy. Um, but but it's taking the judgment off and not being like what, again getting to the what will I do instead of the the why. You know, it's not why is my memory so bad? Why am I so stupid? It's all right. What am I going to do? I'm going to tell you. I'm going to forget. Yep, and so so I'm looking at your your list of books here, um, which is the younger self and and actually yeah I very much add my way through your bio because I'm like that's a list of books we'll get to it later and then and right, I was looking at right, right. and I'm like wow this looks really interesting so you got younger self letters how successful leaders and entrepreneurs turn trials into uh, turn trials into triumph which sounds like a lot of fun uh, money vibe about financial freedom. Whether you have money or not calming the chaos and time for change essential skills for managing the inevitable um so those are all books about living your best life and functioning but all different so was it your intention to write a cycle of how to live your life or what brought about these four yeah four
1: michael thank you for asking you know uh I, I speak a lot right i'm on stages or i'm running programs and people always say to me like wow jackie you're so smart And I just laugh because I'm like so not smart. And certainly as a neurodiverse person, that was not my identity. So there's one thing I know, and I know it incredibly well, and that is human beings. I understand psychology, neurology, the human functioning, the role of the ego, addictions. Like I don't care what the problem is. You bring it to me and I will give you a coaching structure to resolve it. I promise you. I don't care what the problem is. Give me, tell me what it is. And I can give you a coaching structure to resolve it. The only question is, will you use that coaching structure? (laughs) Right. So, so the books really, I I just said this to a coaching client today. I I said, I I whispered and I was like, don't tell anybody this, but really I only teach one thing, but I have to write it about different topics. (laughs) So fundamentally, what I teach is how, you know, to teach people how to live more effectively, how to use your mind to train your brain to accomplish what you want to accomplish in life. Um, But, you know, which is what I call raising your consciousness, changing how you how you think and perceive the world, which is what I call raising your consciousness. That's the only thing I really teach. But because nobody wakes up in the morning thinking, I just wish I could raise my consciousness. I had to find ways that I could make the topic sexy and appealing to people. So Mm -hmm. time. Money, change, uh, you know, kind of personal growth, the younger self letters. Those are the things that uh, that people worry about, and those are the things that I've written about.
0: Interesting. Okay, so so it's it's the it's teaching the same lesson four different ways.
1: Uh, you know, fundamentally, yeah, I, okay. I I do think that there's like an approach to life. I, I have a whole program called the Life Design Course, the Curriculum for Conscious Living. It's it, it's an approach to life where you know clarity and taking self responsibility is really the the central key. but even your ability to be clear and take responsibility, if you don't know how to change your your thinking and your feelings, you're not going to be as effective as you can be. So those are the areas that I really work in with people and all of you know all of my work, all of my coaching.
0: Yeah I love it. and and of course, you know so often what we do comes from that the underlying structure. so if you don't fix the underlying structure, It's going to be a lot. I mean, I'm finding that with with my physical therapy. Uh, Sciatica is you can go to your chiropractor all day long. But if you don't do the physical therapy, then two days later, the muscles are going to pull your spine back out of alignment because you have to fix the underlying structure that causes the misalignment.
1: Exactly right. And unfortunately, we're in a time in our, our evolution of consciousness, human evolution, where everybody wants the three quick tips to fix this problem. And I think we're going to come back around. It doesn't work that way. You can apply the three quick tips, but if you don't change how you think and how you feel about that thing, you will go back to those behaviors that gave rise to that problem in the first place, whether it's procrastination or overspending or being argumentative at work, not taking feedback well, whatever it is that's the issue of the hour, that will reemerge if you don't deal with kind of what's underneath it, which is how people think and how they feel and how they perceive the world.
0: It, it's, it's interesting to say because I, I, I sort of think of it in reverse, but I guess most people don't that like the, the shortcut I'm looking for is the systemic shortcut. So I don't want to learn the behavior change. I want to learn the other, you know, I want to learn the change, change why to how can I, um or or, or what should I do or change can't to how can I? um Because that's something I can easily remember and always do. It's one simple. Anytime you say can't say, how can I instead? Okay. I can remember that rule trigger. If I hear the word can't, how can I, um you know, I can't fly. How can I?
1: um now you've got when anytime you ask why you say well wait 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 i'm supposed to ask how can yeah. i instead right and, and that's and
0: especially i think it's adhd thing too like i can't remember the the tool the strat and all these the 10 parts the thing you know, but i can remember this one tweak yeah and now the one tweak will take a year two years to to propagate in order to create the change um because okay when i go from i can't to how can i i now begin to start to think of a plan which will begin to make changes in a few months and and actualize in a few years. But it's still, at least I have a thing to do now. Yeah. Versus the the alternative is I'm going to teach you the 10 magical steps to control your schedule. Well, I can't remember 10 of them. I remember two of them. and It doesn't quite work. So I'm not doing all of them. and I don't know if I'm doing it right. And I'm putting a lot of energy into it. And is this energy worth doing? So I think in some ways people are, By looking for the quick answer, they're actually doing more work and getting slower results because they keep grabbing the quick, right? you know, the quick answer. Like I I recently went to a a personal trainer and I paid her a not insubstantial sum of money to give me a workout that I knew worked. Now, do I know it works? No, because I don't know it. That's why I hired her.
1: Right. But I'm assuming
0: it works. And so she tells me, do these six exercises. I've got a checklist on my phone. And I do those six exercises and I am assuming it works and I'm doing it well I'm three days in, but I think I can do it pretty much every day because I know this is worth doing because I've been told it works. I don't have to remember it. It's in the phone. It's simple. It's systematized. And it could take two years to get all the results I want, but I don't have to worry about it. And that's, that's, what's huge for me is I don't have to think about it. Put out phone, open app, start doing exercises. Yeah, it hurts. Yeah, it's tiring. I mean, it doesn't hurt, but you know, it's, it's wears out the muscles, but it's easy because I don't have to think about, that's a hard part. It's like, what am I doing? What's next? And so I, I think, you know, providing that solution, um, is, and, and I, I think you're right. People aren't thinking, give me the answer to follow. Just let me trust you. They're thinking, give me the magical solution that'll change everything now.
1: Yeah. This is one of my other favorite coaching quips. Everybody wants a new life, but nobody wants to change. Yep. Everybody wants a new life. Everyone wants to feel better and have more money and be sexier, but nobody wants to change, go to the gym or start, you know, working, thinking differently and mad- being masterful about your thoughts and feelings and schedule. And yeah, you know, if you want a different life, you you may have to invest a little bit of time and energy and effort into creating that.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that is definitely hugely true. So for anyone who's listening, who maybe has been diagnosed with some sort of neurodiversity um, and is thinking that they are disabled and challenged, uh, what would your message be to them? Especially someone who's maybe school age, college age, and yeah, they just yeah. found out they have a learning disability.
1: Right, right. My son is in that camp for sure. Um, so, you know, be careful not to believe everything you think. If you start creating an identity that says, I have this problem and you create your identity around that, it's going to become a bigger problem. Mm-hmm. So instead of asking, you know, how am I impaired or how am I different? You know, start asking, how does what I'm doing work? And, uh, you know, what's, what's about this condition makes me, you know, unique and, uh, and, and strong and capable because the, you know, the, there's a flip side to every condition and, you know, being neurodiverse has its blessings with it and, uh, you know, learning disability, I think, is a misnomer. You have learning differences. Mm-hmm. And when you're in settings that match how you learn, you will thrive.
0: I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Then the focusing on where's my superpower, not yeah. how am I broken? I, and I found this. So so my my daughter probably has ADHD uh, because I've got it. My wife probably has it. So uh, my daughter probably has it, too. But no one at her school has said anything yet because It's more. uh, It's a public school, but it's a more progressive school, and it's more like they don't have the kids do anything more than forty minutes, and they have them physically move around the classroom, different stations, and you know all the ways you really should teach kids based on modern science, but also all the ways you teach kids ADHD so they don't get restless and start bouncing around or whatnot. So, yeah, I I've, I've long said. ADHD is not a learning disability, it's a problem when you have a teaching disability.
1: Right. Well, right, our, our neurology has cr- you know changed cr- incredibly over the last 100 years and our teaching methods in schools have not. Yeah. Right. My son wasn't diagnosed uh, early on in his life because he went to a Waldorf school.
0: Okay, he, yeah.
1: Right, and Waldorf that you know it's so creative and imaginative and so much art and so much movement is part of their everyday experience that it it wasn't it wasn't really noticed that much. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as he got older, it started becoming more pronounced. And then we put him in a school for kids with language-based learning disabilities in D.C. And now he's in one here in New England and uh, in Massachusetts.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's interesting about, uh, you know, when the schools adapt properly. And, and of course, it's great for the neurotypical kids, too, because oh, everyone learns better. Well, I can't I
1: mean, say enough about Waldorf education. So. If any of your listeners are parents uh, of, of younger children, I can't say enough about how positive Waldorf education is in developing the neurology of children and, and you know, and the the beingness of of children, their relational capacity, their self-esteem, uh, and their learning as well. I, just, I love the Waldorf method.
0: Yeah. Well, so this has been great, um, but we are coming towards the end of our time. So if someone has listened to this and said that Jackie sounds pretty interesting, I would like to know more about her. Sure.
1: Sure. So my website is very simple, Jackiewoodside.com. And on the, on my website, there is a host of free resources, eBooks and courses, uh, audios, meditations, uh, classes that I've taught. So, and classes that you can take. So uh, please go over to my website, Jackiewoodside.com, look on, on the menu and it says free resources and take your pick of what you would like to go further with me uh, there, or just send me an email, and I'd be happy to hop on and and have a consultation with you.
0: Great. so That's JackieWoodside.com, spelled in the common fashion. Woodside White House, both nice, easy to spell names for Americans. So (laughs) it's good. (laughs) It's always good down there. So JackieWoodside.com is where they can find all that stuff. And thank you so much for being on the show. This has been great.
1: All right. It's been really fun, Michael. Thanks for having me.
0: This has been the Neurodiversity Superpowers podcast. I'm your host, Michael Whitehouse. Sign up to get every episode at neurodiversitysuperpowers.me. Join our Facebook group on facebook.com groups slash neurodiversity superpowers. Thank you so much for joining us. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. I'm launching a course called Successful ADHD Entrepreneur. I've been an entrepreneur for a long time, and I've had ADHD for a little bit longer than that. Over that time, I've learned quite a few things that make me quite effective. People even call me organized. After many people ask me to, I have created a course to share what I've learned with you. Get details at neurodiversity.me slash course. The first run is limited to only 20 students, and the first class is April 20th, so don't put this one off neurodiversity.me slash course.